0: Well, uh, good morning, guys. It's great to see you. It's really, really good to see you this morning. Um, I pray that you're blessed through the, the time of worship and that, you, uh, that the Word of God may also bless you this morning too. The, our brother prayed before we, he finished today. He prayed and he said, Lord, to... Uh, I don't forget exact, the exact words he prayed, but he prayed something like the, the Lord will bless uh, the time of sharing, but also the hearts that are receiving. I thought, oh, that's a beautiful prayer, because he's asking, God to, he's asking God to bless not only the word that is spoken this morning, but also that you guys, you guys, that when you're actually receiving this morning, that you receive it in a way that God wants you to receive it, that your hearts are open to receive God's word. And that's my prayer for you too. Um, I can only give what God, what God, like, I can only depend on the Lord's strength to do the work. Like, it's, it's, it's a simple man giving a simple word, or actually a very beautiful word, but simply. And I just pray this morning that your hearts are open to receive um, the Word of God. Now, I don't know. I don't know. There are so many different reasons why people come to a church service. There are so many different reasons. And I imagine that this morning uh, there are different reasons here as well. But I pray that this morning that you'll have one thing in mind, and that is that you want to receive God's Word. You want to hear what God has to say to you. You want to listen carefully to the things of the Lord. And I think if that happens, and if your heart is seeking Him, then I believe the Lord by faith will bless you and teach you and speak the words in your life that need to be spoken. I um, I was reflecting this week, before we pray this morning, I was reflecting this week how how, how words mean so many different things to different people, in, even in Christian circles. And if you think about it, about it with me for a moment, you'll see what I'm, I'm trying to say. If we look at words like you know, faith, or words like um, grace, uh, words like sin, or words like um, salvation, or, or Jesus, these words, they just, mean, they just mean so many different things to different people in the world, you know, and, and, not, and sadly, not just in the world, but also in the Christian circles, in the Christian communities. They just mean so many different things. If I was to even just ask you this morning, if I was to get your feedback this morning and say, oh, tell me what your thoughts on the word sin is. And there would be so many d- different ideas and variations, I'm sure, even in this room as well. Or, or the idea of the word um, grace or, or, what, or belief. You know, again, there's going to be different variations of this word. But at the end of the day, there is one truth. There is one truth that God declares these, these words to mean. There is one truth that God speaks about these words. And it's up to us to be people who want to seek this truth. You know, If we seek Him, if we seek this truth, then God is going to speak this truth into our lives. And so this morning, I guess I'm asking the questions: is, are you... Are you deep in your heart? Are you a seeker? Are you a seeker of truth? Are you a seeker of what is true? Not someone who is seeking you know, what is nice or what is comfortable or what is noble or, or what is, what is um, ch- church-like in some ways, but are you someone who seeks what is true? Because at the end of the day, that's the, one, that's the heart that's going to hear from the Lord, It's the heart that is seeking the truths of the Lord. Now, why is that so significant? Because at the end of the day, it's only the truth that sets you free. It's only the truth that sets you free. You can code it with as many layers of, of, of your own humanness that you like. You can code it with the, your own versions of things, but you're always going to be bound. You're always never going to be set free. You're never going to experience what it means to walk righteously before your God or humbly before your God. You're going to have a version of it that's going to feel nice. For a season but at the end of the day it's not going to deliver you and set you free from the things that you that are most captivating your heart so i pray this morning that you are someone who seeks the truths of god that might be uncomfortable that may not always feel good but what it will do is it will deliver you it will truly put you on the path of righteousness for his namesake and that's what Christianity is. And I pray this morning that your hearts are open to listen to the things that God has to speak to us. So let's pray this morning. Let's ask the Lord to open uh, our, our, all our eyes to the things he wants us to see uh, so that we can, uh, we can be followers of his truth uh, and, and his ways. So let's pray. Let's pray together. Loving Father, I want to thank you, Lord, for this place. I want to thank you, Lord, that we can come together in freedom to worship you and to listen to your word. And I pray, Lord, I don't really have much to give other than what you would like to give to your people this morning. So I pray in in Jesus' name that you would speak your words of truth and that there are hearers this morning that are opening up their hearts, ready to receive the things that you want to say. Lord, I pray that we don't pretend. Lord, I pray that we don't play around with your truth. But that we are people who seek it, dig deeply for it, who desperately want it, and who are willing to protect it with all their lives. And Father, I pray this morning that you would speak those words that must be spoken in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want to read a a passage this morning that is probably very familiar to, to most people. Before I do that, I want to tell you a little story that happened in the book of Acts before we go to our passage in the Gospel of John. Um, In the book of Acts, there's a beautiful, there's a little story, an almost unexpected story that happens in the book of Acts. And the book of Acts is very much like that. It's kind of almost a story of unexpected things because God's Spirit, God's Spirit is working uh, in that that time. And so little unexpected stories happen. And there's one story where um, there is a man called Philip... Um, one of the disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, a man called Philip. And what Philip does, Philip's doing his thing, and God calls Philip to go and speak to another man from Ethiopia. And this man from Ethiopia is coming to Jerusalem because he wants to worship. And um, he's, I think by memory, he's on his way back to Ethiopia. And God's calling Philip to do something and to approach this man with the truth. And Philip and the Ethiopian start speaking, they start speaking about the things of God and this Ethiopian's reading from, um, this man's reading from the book of Isaiah and he's reading about how Jesus was led to the slaughter, it doesn't say Jesus but it's saying how um, to be led to the slaughter and he's talking, he's reading the prophecy of Isaiah and this man stirred in his heart and he says to Philip, who's the prophet speaking about? Is it about himself or is it about someone else? And I can imagine Philip's excitement. Philip's like, oh, this is my opportunity to tell this man about Jesus. So Philip tells this man about Jesus and gives him, I would assume, the gospel, what it means to be saved. And so they get to a place where there's some water. And the, the Ethiopian says to Philip, See, here is water. What hinders me or stops me from being baptized? Beautiful question. Because in his heart, he's wondering in himself, you know, okay, you've told me the truth. I want to believe the truth. I want to follow the truth. What you've told me, I want to believe this. And look, and there's water. So I'm imagining in some context, he would have told them about baptism and how baptism is really this confirmation of things. And he says, well, there's water now. What stops you from being baptized? So Philip doesn't say to him, okay, look, you know, what's up? Look, I'll tell you what stops you from being baptized. You need to now come with me. We need to go to college and study the word. And he doesn't do that. He says to him, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still. And both Philip and the Ethiopian went down into the water and he baptized him. It's a beautiful story. It's a beautiful story of this simple faith where what he does, he says to Philip, you know what, I believe what you're telling me. I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And because I believe this, I want to be baptized as well. I want the world to know, I want to declare openly that I am a follower of Jesus. I don't think the Ethiopian was worried about what, who was around at the time. I don't think he was concerned about these things. All he was concerned about is in his heart, he believed in Jesus and he wanted to follow through with the commands that the Lord Jesus Christ had given. And he said, I want to be baptised. And the beautiful words that Philip says to him is that who can hinder you from this? Who can stop you from this if you believe See, nobody could have really stopped him at the end of the day. But my question to all of us this morning is, is, is especially this. This word belief. This word belief. I said, do you believe? And you say, yeah, I believe. What does that mean even? What does it take us to? What does it form and create in us? What is it that, how is it that it actually changes us? What does it actually do to our lives? Because you can say you believe, and I can say I can believe, but at the end of the day, what does this belief mean in the context of the Bible and in the context of God calling His people to believe in Him? You know, it saddens me when I look around the churches today and I see so many people who believe in God. They say they believe in God, but their very life um, demonstrates nothing like a belief. And I think to myself, what is, what's belief then? What does it mean to believe? What does it mean to say, "I believe"? I believe. Yeah, I believe in Jesus and their lives are nothing different to an unbeliever to someone who doesn't believe in fact sometimes sadly they are, their lives are better than someone who says they, sorry their lives are worse than someone who says they, they don't believe what is that what does that even mean? how is that, how has that even happened in the church how does has it become a reality in the churches today because what people are being fed today what people are being taught today is not the truth and we can blame preachers and we can blame pastors and we can blame theologians. We can do all those sorts of things. But at the end of the day, you can blame as many people as you like. But if you don't seek the truth, God is going to have it on you. He's going to ask you, why did you not seek the truth? Because he promises this, that if you seek me and seek me with all your heart, you will find me. I said, so Jesus lived his life demonstrating what this belief looks like. Do you know that? Jesus lived and taught us what he then is going to call us to so that we could have this beautiful image of what it means to believe. So if you're a visual learner, you look at Jesus. You look at him and think, How did he live? So that we can then come to an understanding of what it actually means to follow Jesus. So turn with me to John chapter 13. And I want to read um, a beautiful passage of what is very familiar to many of us. When Jesus did one of the most humbling, humbling things that the Saviour could have done. And that was to come and take up a towel and a basin and wash the dirty feet of his disciples. And he does this to demonstrate some beautiful truths to us of what it looks like to believe, what it looks like to follow Jesus. I want to start this passage in John chapter 13. I want you just just to go with me. We're going to flip it around a little bit. And I want you to go with me firstly from verse 15. I've told you the story, most of you know, that Jesus is teaching us, or Jesus is demonstrating through the washing of his disciples' feet. Okay, So it's this, this washing has just happened, and we're going to go back and we're going to read it. But verse 15, he says to his disciples this, For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Okay? I'm not doing this in vain, my brothers. I'm not doing this in vain. I'm teaching you this and I'm doing this to you so that you, as an example, so you do what I'm doing. (laughs) Look at that. Number one, if you like, tick of what it means to believe. Do what Jesus did. How complicated is that? How hard is that to understand? If Jesus loved, love. If Jesus forgave, forgive. If Jesus humbled himself, humble yourself. But why do Christians bicker, fight, argue, defend their rights, somehow find themselves in contention that shouldn't be there? Because at the end of the day, they don't do what Jesus did. Because they don't believe. So he says to them here, I've done something, so you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master. You're following, yeah? Verse 16. A servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. Listen, this is a problem in the church today. Because people, whether they understand it or not... People think themselves greater than their master. Oh, Jesus did that, but that's not what I should do. I'll do something differently. I won't humble myself and serve. I'll do something differently because they think in their hearts they're greater than their master. They know better than their master. They're more entitled than their master. Do you understand? They're not consciously thinking that, but for some reason they're thinking to themselves, yeah, that's what Jesus did, but I'll do it my way. So they're great. So you're greater than Jesus. Verse 17. If you know these things, now here it is. If you know these things, there you believe. You know them, you believe. That's the belief. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. And here's what it means to follow. Yeah, you can know them, but it's the blessing is when you choose to do them. The blessing is if you follow with all your life every command and every word that Jesus spoke. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Jesus didn't say if you know these things, you're blessed. He said, if you know these things, you're blessed. If you do them. There are two significant uh, questions that Jesus asks in this chapter. Look at verse 12 with me. He asks two significant questions. I just want to put them out there for us to see. Verse 12, he asks his disciples this question. Do you know what I have done to you? Do you know what I have done to you? I want to, you know, he, he, he's just washed their feet and he asks them a very, what seems to be a very simple question Do you know what I've done to you? Do you understand what I've done to you? Can you consider what I've done to you? Are you prepared to consider and think about the things that I've just done for you? Because these things are very significant. And if you do not follow them, then you don't want to be one who believes in me. Do you know what I've done to you? Now, in this story here, we're going to read soon. In this story here, there's a man called Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, who kind of wrestles with this idea that Jesus is washing his feet. He, can't, he kind of can't, can't comprehend how can he let Jesus wash his feet. And Jesus has this conversation with him, and then eventually Peter lets him do it. This Peter's quite a passionate disciple. And towards the end of this chapter, what Peter is saying to Jesus is, I'll follow you wherever you go. <laughs> I'll, I'll go wherever you want me to go, Lord. So if you go right down to the end of the chapter, you'll see verse 37, the second question that Jesus asks in this chapter. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? Because that's in the context of what Jesus had told him. I will lay down my life for your sake. Oh, how many people in the church today say, Jesus, I'll give you my life. How many people in the churches today, no matter what denomination it is, sing songs to say, I give you my life, Lord. Here's my life, Lord. Take my life, Lord. How many songs have you sung and listened to that you have expressed to Jesus, Jesus, this is my life. Take it. This is Peter deliberately here because this is the church. And then Jesus asked a very specific question to Peter. Peter. Jesus answered him, will you lay down your life for my sake? Oh, my goodness. I would have just crumbled at that question. Can you imagine the Lord Jesus Christ looking you in the face with this face of gentleness but seriousness? Or I can just imagine it would have been very gentle and very serious. Will you lay down your life for my sake? And I've got to answer him. <laughs> I've, got to, I've got to answer the Lord. What am I going to say to him? He's asking me this question. Are you going to, will you lay down your life for my sake? Will you give up your pride for my sake? Will you give up your ego for my sake? Will you give up the things that you want for my sake? Will you really do that? No matter what it is, will you follow truth rather than opinion? Truth rather than religion? Are you ready, prepared to do that? Even when everyone seems to be going against you, even when people don't seem to like you, even when people seem to be working against you, will you lay down your life for my sake? Even if they decide to kill you, will you lay down your life for my sake? It's an interesting question because this is what it means to believe. So, in this passage, Jesus teaches us how to follow. Let's go back to probably where I should have started, verse 1. The Bible says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, and that he should depart from the world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And I'm not going to speak too much about every verse, but I do want to stop occasionally. I want to just highlight a few things here. The Bible tells us here that Jesus knew that his time was coming. Because this was just before his death on the cross. And the Bible says that he loved his own and he loved them to the end. Every day of the life of Jesus, regardless of what they did to him, what they said to him, even his disciples were now bickering and fighting who was the greatest even when they, 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 they would fall asleep when he asked them to pray with them later, everything that his disciples did to Jesus and how they lived among Jesus, the Bible says this, he'd love them until the end. Because love never fails. Jesus wasn't moved. He didn't think to himself, well, you know, I had enough of these guys. I don't get it. I've had enough of Peter. He's always irrational and impulsive. He doesn't do that to them. He says, the Bible says he loved them until the end. And do you know how one of the most beautiful ways he was going to demonstrate that? He was about to wash the feet of the one who was going to betray him. Would you do that? Would I do that? Knowing that the betrayer was sitting there with them about to betray him, that would lead him to death, lead him to the cross. And knowing that, he took up the basin and he took up the towel to wash even his feet. And we say, oh, but I don't like that guy because I don't like the way he acts. I don't like the way he talks to me. I don't like the way he, I don't like his habits. Really? Has he betrayed you? Has he betrayed me? And you're picking on things that are so little and petty that you can't hang with that person. And people say things like, oh, I don't like them, but I love them. What's that even mean? I don't like them, but I love them. Are you, trying to, are you trying to dissect the word of God so you can make yourself feel comfortable? The Bible calls us to love and love until the end. And so what happens here, Jesus had not had no doing this and, and continuing to do this. And the Bible says he loved them and he loved them until the end. And so he, the Bible says, verse 2, and, and supper being ended... As they had had a meal together, the devil had already putting into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. And that's what I'm referring to here. Here he is sitting amongst his disciples and Judas Iscariot is there and the devil puts it in his heart to portray Jesus and Jesus still decides he wants to wash his feet. But what I find interesting about this passage that here we see one of the most intimate experiences that are happening between Jesus and his disciples. No one can argue that this is the will of God. No one can argue this is the work of God. No one can argue this is the anointing of God. But even in this place, even in this place, the devil comes in And does his work. You notice that? Oh, you know, you could be having an amazing ministry, but you're not immune from the devil's coming in and working because this could be part of the will of God. Maybe to test, maybe to sift. Maybe to reveal, who knows? And the enemy God allows the enemy to come in and sift, maybe to do things because the word the the, the the truth of God must be revealed. The work of God must be fulfilled. You could be a Sunday school teacher, you can be a youth group leader, you can be working in the medical field, you can be in the education industry, whatever it is, you're doing the will of God. But even while you're doing the will of God, the devil's capable of coming in and doing things because this could be part of the will of God. So be be encouraged and be strengthened. As the enemy comes to resist, then continue to resist him steadfast in the faith and love them unto the end. Verse 3 Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, that he had come from God and he was going to God. I don't know if you think the same thing I'm thinking here, but this shows something about the authority of Jesus. This is amazing. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands. I mean, that's, that's authority, isn't it? The Father had given Jesus all things into his hands. He came from God and he was going to God. This is, who else can claim this? This is authority here. Yet Jesus, in his love and his humility, did not confuse authority with superiority. Do you understand that? He didn't walk around saying, I came from God, I'm going to God. Here guys, here's my feet. Wash. He didn't do that. Oh, God's giving all things into my hands. So guys, come on, who's bringing me dinner tonight? He didn't do that. Because he did not confuse authority with superiority, which often parents do or other leaders do. They confuse their authority with superiority. It becomes this way rather than this way. And as a saviour, what he decided to do, because he had nothing to prove. He knew he was the Lord. He had nothing to prove. As people who have to prove their authority have an issue, often with identity or their own insecurities, whatever it might be. But he had nothing to prove. So what he did, as the Lord, he went and he washed their feet. And he was able not to, he didn't want preeminence, he didn't want lording over them. He came, the Bible says, not to be served, but to serve. I don't want to do that because that person should, why should I do I want to do that job, but job's better. Lord, if you want me to do it, I'll do it. That's the job you offer me, Lord, I'll do it. Then verse 4 and 5, He rose from supper, he laid aside his garments, which is an interesting thing in itself. He took a towel and girded himself, and after that he poured water into a basin, and he began to wash the disciples' feet and wipe them with the towel in which he was girded. Wow. Now those of you that are familiar with this story will know that often in the culture of the day, this was the job of a servant. Yeah, Uh, You have visitors coming into your house. It's the dusty roads of Jerusalem, sandals, maybe bare feet, dirty, dust, mud, whatever. They come into your home to have a meal and the servants wash their feet. Now remember, it's not a table where people just sat with their nice feet underneath. Often they sat around in a circle and they, uh, as they were reclining and often your feet pros- quite possibly were, <laughs> were close to someone else. But Jesus didn't say, hey, oh, where's the servant? Maybe Jesus in his heart, maybe, and don't quote me here because then you'll think I'm saying some wrong doctrine. Maybe Jesus in his heart was saying, I wonder if anyone's going to get up and do this. And having not seen anyone, he gets up and does it. Maybe. He wasn't worried about taking the role of a servant. Do you remember that famous story of D.L. Moody, the famous evangelist in the 1800s? Some of you know that story. It's a beautiful story. There was a conference in America, and a lot of European pastors were coming to this conference, and their tradition in, in, um, in the European culture of the day was they would leave their shoes they would leave their shoes outside their hotel rooms. And as they would leave their shoes outside their hotel rooms, then the shoes would get polished in the evening. And so what D.L. Moody found in America, this, this wasn't Europe, this was America. And so what he found was as the shoes were being left outside the hotel room, no one was polishing the shoes. This is the famous evangelist. This was a popular international evangelist. No one was polishing the shoes because this was America. So he called some of the, serv- the, the students, say, hey, come, let's, let's, let's deal with this issue. And they were like, no, no, no I, don't, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. So what he does, he collects them all, goes into a quiet room, and starts polishing the shoes. So nobody sees him do it. And then brings them out. So in the morning, all these pastors have their shoes polished. Why did he do that? Why did he even think to do that? Because he took up his basin and his towel. He didn't worry whether people wanted to do it with him or not. He knew there had to be done and he had to humble himself and do what would be considered right to do. He served. He loved. It was humility. What I get blown away is (laughs) the Bible doesn't tell us but imagine when Jesus came to Judas. I, I would love to have been a spider on the wall and watched what Judas did. Did Judas like think, is he going to do it? Is he going to wash my feet? Did Judas was, was he did begin to almost inside crumble at the idea that he's going he's, he's to wash my feet? I'm, I'm going to betray him. He's going to wash my feet. Imagine what Jesus did, I would have loved to have watched Jesus and how he looked at Judas as he knelt down and, and he thought to himself, Judas, bring your feet here, and then he would have looked up at Judas and they, Judas looked down at him. I'm just, I would have loved to have seen that image. What did, how did Jesus look at Judas? Like, I know, but let me wash your feet. I, I, I would be—I'd be love to have seen that image. Because Jesus did not, was not moved by what the people were doing. He was moved by truth. He was moved by his love for the Father and his love for others. And this is what moved him. And so Jesus, uh, so, then, so then he comes to Peter, right? He comes to Peter, verse 6. And he came to Simon Peter and said, and Simon Peter said to him, Lord, you're not washing my feet. Sorry, are you washing my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, what I'm doing you do not understand now, but you will know after this. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. And Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Of course, this is is characteristic of Peter. I want to ask the question, why was Peter resistant? I don't know. Was it because he loved Jesus? And he thought, this is, whoa, this is way too disrespectful. Was it out of pride? You can't touch my feet, Lord. This is like, not right. Was it pride? He didn't allow Jesus to come and be, do what Jesus needed to do. Whatever it was, I want to ask you this very, two very simple questions. What kind of, um, how do you meet rather? How do you meet the requests of the Lord when they are spoken into your life? How do you meet them? When the Lord speaks to you a word of truth, how do you meet that? Do you meet it with the same resistance, the pride or maybe nobly out of love, whatever that even looks like? But do you meet it with the same resistance? And how do you meet the requirements that God has, not him towards you only, but then what he requires from you toward others? Do you meet it with the same resistance? And then to finish up, he says this, verses 12 to 15. So when he washed their feet, he'd taken his garments and sat down again. He said to them, Do you know what I've done to you? That's the question we started with. Do you know what I've done to you? If you call me teacher and Lord, you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and your teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you should do as I have done to you now i want to finish with this and i want you to consider a few things here that we know that belief belief as i was saying to you earlier belief is more than words it's more than a knowledge in your head it's more than me saying i go to a church hey, i go to an awesome church that means nothing to god belief is more than these it's more than words And Jesus is saying here, quite significantly, he says, you call me teacher and Lord. Oh, wow. I know you guys call me teacher, and I know you guys call me Lord, but I know at the end of the day, these things matter little unless you follow through with a demonstration of your faith through obeying the words that I've spoken to you. You can call me teacher as much as you like, and you can call me Lord as much as you like, but your faith, unless it's shown, means nothing. He says, you call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, because I I am that. But as your teacher and as your Lord, I've just washed your feet. So what are you going to do about that? If you really think I'm your teacher and your Lord, then you're going to do the same as I just did. Because I'm teaching you what your Lord does. And I'm teaching you what you must do as well. But if you don't really believe I'm your teacher and Lord, you'll walk away thinking they were nice words this Sunday morning, it was really passionate, it was really exciting, it was really good, and you'll do nothing about it. The next time someone comes and wants to somehow challenge you or, or you're somehow uh, your, your sensitivity is pricked in some ways, you will go into defense mode again. But your teacher and your Lord says, Hey, humble yourself. And do what is truthful in the matter. Remember Jesus said, um, Matthew 15, Jesus said, These people draw near to me with their mouth and they honour me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Do you remember that? So what Jesus acknowledged is that these people were really, really good in coming to God really, really uh, um, with with articulation before God and they could worship God and maybe they sing worship songs to God and maybe they pray to God and they say, Lord, you are Lord, you are God, you are good. They come close to God with their mouth, but their heart is far because they do not follow through. There is no obedience to the word of God. It's pick and choose obedience. It's it's a tailor-made Christianity. You know, I'll pick this I'll obey that because that's comfortable, but this one here, it's too hard. I'll, I'll, I'll choose what I want to do with Christianity. This is not a sacrifice life, beloved. This is not laying down your life on the altar. A dead man doesn't say, oh, I'll move this arm, but not that arm. One who's laid down on the altar said, Lord, speak your servants listening. If this is what you want, I'll do it. Otherwise, just... Anyway, but I'll, I'll do this. I'll do this, Lord, because that's what you're asking me to do. Then in another passage in Matthew 7, Jesus said this, Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. And so Jesus is saying a very similar thing here. You can say, Lord, and Lord. You can call me Lord, and you can use the words Lord, because they're very significant words. You can call me Lord, Lord, but not everyone who says this shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father. There you go. So you can say Lord. Lord's one thing, but it's the one who does the will of my Father. Many, many years ago, I heard this um, like a little poem, and some of you would know this po- poem. I'm sure you've heard it before. It's written in a a cath- inside of a cathedral church in Germany, Lübeck, I think it is, in Germany. And it's it's obviously it's written in this church, but it's become kind of a worldwide thing. People people hear about it and know about it. And I want to finish with this because I think we all have a decision to make. We have a decision to make this morning about what we do with belief. We can choose to make belief something that we keep in this room, we keep privately, you know, we keep it for a Sunday, or we can make belief what God calls it to be. And that's every single part of your life surrendered to the will of God, no matter what the cost That's what distinguishes Christianity and the Church. Will you lay down your life for me? Listen to this. This is like this is like God speaking. You call me Master, and you obey me not. Yeah, this is God speaking. You call me Master, and you obey me not. You call me Light, and you see me not. You call me the way and you walk me not. You call me life and you live me not. You call me wise and you follow me not. You call me fair and you love me not. You call me rich and you ask me not. You call me eternal and you seek me not. If I condemn you, blame me not. And this is God speaking because God's saying, this is who I am. This is who I am. So come and give me all of your life. Come and believe with all of your heart. Come and allow Christ to become everything of you. Because this is only what Christianity is. This is only what the call to Christ is to give all of you for all of Him. Amen? Let's pray. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, I come before you this morning knowing that in my own heart, Father in heaven, there is absolutely nothing else that I'm required to do but to surrender. To not believe, Father, simply because it feels good or seems good. To not believe, Lord, simply as a matter of the mind or something that... I feel like I want to do, but rather, Lord, because of I love you, because of a love for you, you are the truth. and there is no other way but through you. I thank you for your word, Lord, and I thank you for your example, Lord Jesus Christ, that you were so willing to grab that basin and grab that towel and to wash all the feet of the disciples, even the one who is about to betray you. There is nothing, Lord. there's nothing else to do but to follow you I pray that you bless and encourage my brothers and sisters I pray that they would be strengthened to know that as they decide to do this that you will empower and strengthen them because this is your desire and if you desire it Lord God then you will will it and I thank you for this bless them Father and encourage them to only have you before them In Jesus' name.